Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Tech Strong Women, where we feature amazing women doing amazing things in tech. Hi, I'm Jody Ashley, executive producer here at Tech Strong, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tracy Reagan and Rebecca August. But before we introduce today's guests, I want to give you a quick update on what's happening here at Tech Strong. Coming up on October 4th, we have the Cloud Container Security Summit. And on November 16th, join us for DevOps Experience. If you're interested in submitting a speaker submission or attending either event, go to techstrongevents.com to sign up and be sure to tune into TechStrong TV every day for great shows and interviews. Hey, Rebecca, what do you have on tap for this week? So on tap for this week, I wanted to highlight a really amazing software engineer name. Our Instagram name is Maxine.js. She's a self-taught DevOps engineer, technical writer, and full stack mom is her description. So <laughs> I love how she's a self-taught engineer and she goes through Instagram teaching a lot of stuff that we cover at DevOps.com. You know, what is the internet of things, you know, DevOps versus DevSecOps. She is absolutely amazing and she's kind of fun to watch. She makes learning really fun. I definitely suggest anybody who's looking into this industry to, to de definitely check out her Instagram. Full stack mom. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. So what about you, Tracy? What do you have this week? So um, as many of you know, I'm on the board of the OpenSSF. Uh, so I get things that come through uh, about what's happening at the OpenSSF. And this came through. Um, they have now started a end user working group. Super, super important. For those of you who don't know what the OpenSSF is, it's basically Open Source Security Foundation. And their focus is, is to really sort out how to make sure we don't have another log4j moment. Um, and they're focused heavily around SBOMs and CVEs and making SBOMs available to everyone. One of their problems, though, to be quite honest, is they don't have enough end users providing feedback in terms of what, what problems that the, the end users are having with adoption of SBOMs. So we may generate one and it sits on a file system somewhere. Um, so woohoo, right? <laughs> Did a lot of good to take that time to generate it. So we're looking at um, use cases and understanding from a user end user perspective, what stops them, what are the barriers, how can we help them, and having this end user uh, working group will be super essential. So if this is an area that you're interested in, or even if you're a DevOps person, because when we start talking about security, it's really part of the DevOps pipeline. We've talked about DevSecOps for a long time, um, but what does that really mean? It means bringing the, the security pieces into the development pipeline, which also means we're shifting security farther left. So how do we do that? We do that by getting feedback from end users. So there, there's so many ways to get involved in open source communities. The, one of the easiest ways, though, is to be part of a working group where you're providing input. It means you're not coding. You really are just providing input to say, these are the problems that we're, we're, we're struggling with. These are the kinds of use cases we'd like to see. And that's what that, uh, that work, the end user working group is all about. So don't hesitate. Jump in. You know, don't, don't, don't tip your, your, your toe in the water and see if it's too hot or cold. Jump in full force and help us out with uh, sorting out these security issues. And if you're in the DevOps space, this is a really good place to start. 
So that's what I have today to encourage everybody who has never been in an open source or worked on an OS working group, this would be a good one for you. And you can find out more about it at the um, OpenSSF uh, website. That's amazing. I think we all forget that we can't be a silo, right? We need input. Yeah. We need, we need to just, we don't have to fix all the world's problems, but we need to have a conversation and bring a lot of people into it, find out all the things that are going on. So that's really cool. Thank you, Tracy. That's, that's awesome. I would like to introduce you to our guest today. Um, we're very excited to have her. Um, Zenobia Godshock, would you like to tell us all a little bit about you? Hello. Yes, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Um, this is such a great group and community. Um, so as Jody mentioned, my name is Zenobia Godschalk. Uh, I run communications for a company called Swirls Labs um, on the blockchain side, distributed ledger side. Um, I also am the vice chair of um, the Forte Group, which is a group of senior women in cybersecurity who um, in the, in the midst of the pandemic, found a way to develop some community and to share ideas and, um, you know, to, to come together to enable all of us, um, as much as we were spread out across the country and across the world, to still continue to have that level of community and to share ideas and um, help each other in our career paths. So my background, um, I uh, graduated from Stanford, worked out in Silicon Valley for a number of years, um, worked in technology companies, did a very short stint um, on the sell side um, in investment banking as an analyst covering internet security and infrastructure. It was a great learning ground to really jump in and understand the entire security ecosystem, but it was still investment banking, um, which is not an area I wanted to be in. So I left that fairly quickly, went back to doing um, PR, IR, and what we call full stack marketing um, for technology companies. And most of where I spend my time is with security and blockchain um, companies. And so, you know, now today also thinking about that intersection of those two, um, always something new to learn and um, always, and just glad to be here. And, you know, you, you didn't mention it, but you're also a Aren't you a TEDx speaker? Yes, yeah. So I um, <laughs> I have spoken at TEDx. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yep. Absolutely. On um, you know on on blockchain and cryptocurrency, and I think one of the if anybody gets that opportunity, I would highly recommend that they take it. Um, it is a lot of work, but it's also, they have a great process, right? They put you through it. They really make you think about your talk. They help prepare you. Um, so if anybody ever gets that opportunity, I would encourage them to do it. I've thought about it, but I've always been like, oh, do I have the time? <laughs> do I have the time? Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I know they run them differently, but I think for me, it was sort of a a nine month um, prep, not that it was the full nine months, but they walk you through, right? They want, they have a certain bar in terms of what they want to see and um, how they want you to deliver that. But they also provide some great support um, in terms of speaker training. You know, we work with um, people who are practicing speeches all the time. And I always say that there's never, you can never practice enough, right? Once you feel like you've practiced so much that you're sick of hearing yourself, that's probably about the time where you're ready to get on stage. Yeah, what happened to Toastmasters, right? 
that was people who who attend to this day it's an old you know organization but people who do attend toastmasters and practice they are far more polished so i think it's awesome that tedx does that for you i didn't even know toastmasters was still around it's oh yeah my dad did toastmasters (laughs) and he would have been a hundred this year so yeah, that was a long time ago. I remember him doing that, but it just isn't something you hear about that often. It's great that they take that time though to make you to give you a whole new skill set, not just hey, jump up here and do a talk. But that's really- right. Yeah, they want you know they want um, they want these ideas to be successfully communicated, right? So you can have a great idea, and if you're not able to share it with the world, then you know that's 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 a sort of a singular great idea, right? But the ability to then share it and make that vision something that other people buy into, I think is really powerful. And it's powerful in everything we do in, in software in general. Um, I know as a person who is, you know, I've lived off of small companies since I was 27. <laughs> uh, I started doing consulting when I was 27 and then formed my first company in uh, 95. Uh, communication is essential and communicating technical topics can be extremely difficult. Uh, really bringing, I mean, it just, you're, you're, you're in the blockchain space. Why don't you tell us about how, you know, how are you bringing that blockchain story, especially security around blockchain? How do you bring that story forward? What are what, how, what is your thought process in pulling those, pulling that information together? Sure, sure. So I think, you know, I always think about, well, you have to go deep before you can then pull back and have that, you know, 10,000 foot view. Um, But at the end of the day, um, there's a great, there's a great model, um, this gentleman named Simon Sinek, if any of you are familiar with him, which is the start with why, right? People won't care about what you do until they care about why you do it. Um, And so I think when you're trying to communicate these technical topics, you do need to spend time with the folks who are building, who are creating it, and you need to hear everything that they are saying about what what they are doing and their beliefs on why it's so important. And then the challenge is taking that and saying, great, now you all probably know way too much. And for the person who is just getting a taste of this, I need to give them only the highest level of why. And then I can dive in, right? Then, I mean, I think that people are much more, they want to control their journey of how they discover things much more on their own, right? The days of Gartner tells me what to buy and I go buy it are long gone, right? I can now jump into Reddit. I can now jump into Discord. I can now have all those conversations um, when I want to at a very technical level, but I first need to be hooked, Um, So one of the things that I tell people, you know, when when they're going through this process is think about, you know, at the end of the day, everybody loves stories, right? We love them from the time that we're children. Um, We love the hero's journey. We love, you know, conflict, but we also just like to be told stories and we like to be entertained. Um, And if you are able to do that and put it in, you know, in the perspective of some of, you know, why do I care, right? Why should I care? How does this affect me? Um, that's going to be a lot different. So if I tell you, well, you know, a, a blockchain is an immutable ledger and you can, you know, control your own data and it is distributed, you know, a distributed multi-master, you know, database, like most people are going to go, well, that's great, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> if I... <laughs> 
if I tell you, you know, yes, yes, you're going to, I mean, the, the, the person who has 7,000 other things coming at them, right? They're, they just don't have time to do that. But if you say, well, gosh, are there any instances where you wish you could control your data or you wish that you had accountability across your supply chain, right? Um, you know, you talked about um, sort of the, the software bill of materials, right? So we, we think about, for example, a physical supply chain, right? When the COVID vaccine was coming out, the big story was, um, that supply chain has to be cold at every point um, in its journey. And that vaccine has to be cold in every point in its journey before it gets in your arm. Otherwise it doesn't work. Um, okay, well, maybe you can apply distributed trust to that process. Can I have the manufacturer verify that it was cold throughout the um, creation of that vaccine? Can I have the distributors verify that their warehouses were cold at every point where it was stored? Can I have the trucks verify that those were cold at every point where it was transported? And can I have the hospital verify that the entire time it's been in their possession that it was actually still cold before it got into my arm? And so those are all things where the hospital may say, well, great, but I don't want, you know, the distributor owning that, or I don't want the manufacturer owning that, but I need that distributed trust. So we talk a lot about the end user stories and the why to say, why is distributed trust really important? And where can you think about applications in your life where you would like to have that kind of distributed trust where you don't necessarily trust one person or party to hold all of that data? And I think you just gave us the reason why you probably did an excellent TEDx presentation <laughs> because you just taught us what I asked you. <laughs> that was a great, great um, analogy for tracking software. You know, I, we, I think that we hear oftentimes that it's too complex. Uh, it's, you know, creating a bill of material or showing the ingredients of software is far too complex. But what you just described is super complex and has a, a, a impact, a death or, you know, a life or death impact on people. So what is it, do you think that, why, why are we not, why is it, it's 2022, we're headed to 2023, just around the corner, and we're just starting to talk about the ingredients of software and, and making sure that it's stored in a cold warehouse. What is it? <laughs> why haven't we talked about this before? I have, I've been talking about it since, since the 95 when we first created our first build audit report. But what is it now, other than the Biden administration, why is this communication happening now? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's, you know, there has been a push for a long time, you know, the concept of shift left, right? Like build security into your software earlier on in the process. But I do think the definition of left has also had to shift because you used to be, it used to be, I'm going to build my software and I'm going to build every single piece of it, right? Now you've had the advent of low code platforms. Now you have development teams globally. Now you have software that is built um, more modularly. And that's great because that shows an evolution of our industry, right? That shows a maturation of our industry. Let's not recreate the wheel every time we're trying to create a piece of software. But with that maturation, you also then insert that uncertainty because you don't control the whole process. And you do have to depend on a number of different vendors where you may not necessarily know everything that goes on in their environment. Um, so I think, you know, it is, um, 
it's a it's a good problem to have because it shows that we as an industry have matured to the point where we are not um, you know we are not sewing our own clothes we are not um, you know growing our own food we have created this beautiful global supply chain but now we have to do all the other things that other global supply chains do which is accountability right? <laughs> <laughs> well and i think along what you were saying is we have all those those supply chains but i think a couple things that covid has taught us a is a lot of people went back to trying to grow their own food right over the last two years and then they realized geez there was a lot more to this because I tried gardening and I'm on my third year of meh kind of getting same it. same tomatoes great it's yeah not working and it's <laughs> and it, it has given me a complete new appreciation of this whole process that goes into me getting food and I think the same thing with having discussions right zoom although we're all really sick of it has yeah. also created conversations that we can jump on in a way that I don't think we were doing. We all kind of thought we got to go somewhere and see someone in person and go to a meeting and get everybody in a conference room. And if we can't do that, it's not going to happen. And now it's like, what's our excuse, right? Just pull up a Zoom call and get 10 people on it and have a conversation. So mm -hmm. I'm a cup half full kind of person. I always have to go through times that are rough and um, it, I think a lot of it is my faith that teaches me what is what positive is coming out. And I always hear in these conversations, there's there's positive things that have been generated. People appreciate things a lot more, I think, after maybe not being able to get everything we wanted. Right. Right. As going to the grocery store. I'm like, how can they not have watermelon? You know, stuff like that. I think this this is the same thing in the sense that we're all appreciating all these processes that go into all the things that we appreciate. And I think security is definitely with all the Zoom calling and home security people on their own PCs and not having networks that people are controlling internally. I think it's created a whole new world of, of awareness that a lot of us didn't have before. I'd agree with that. And those of us who had the awareness were going, boy, there is a 800 pound gorilla in the room and nobody's mentioning it. Nobody's <laughs> mentioning it. Nobody's um, thinking about it. I think that's what's happening is it's a conversation that, as you guys mentioned, is that it's happening now. And it's one of those conversations that needs to be that needs to happen very often and needs to start in schools as young as elementary school students, you know, to, you know, college students, because when you think about it, they're going to, you know, they're going from Starbucks to home and jumping on different networks and coming home. And if you're working at, you know, if you're working for a tech company and, you know, you don't know what information is being shared, your child has just brought something home. I mean, it's only a disaster. It's, it's downhill from there. Yes, there's viruses everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, Zenobia, um, I watched your TEDx and you did an absolute amazing job. Thank let, you. Me, let me ask you, with your amazing experience and your background, what has been the greatest challenge when communicating um, some of these complex technologies to the masses? What is the greatest ch um, challenge that you've experienced overall? Yeah, so I think, you know, there is... Um, as information has been more accessible and as people are willing to and, and just have all of this at their fingertips, there is also the expectation, I think, that 
technology just works, right? So, um, so, you know, we no longer, you can no longer really kind of open up your computers and kind of figure out what's in there, right? Like the next generation's like, yep, I have an iPad and it just works. Um, so I think the perspective of, you know, for, for those of us who have been around a while is these things take time to mature, right? They take time to progress. They take time for that adoption to happen. Um, you know, the sort of hype cycle of when technologies really get to be um, exciting and then when they get adopted is very different. And so I think making sure that people understand we're still so early in some of these things, right? That don't get discouraged because there are issues, because there are security issues, because there are you know downtime issues. If you try to go back and remember the days before you know um, fiber was ubiquitous, right? The internet, there were a ton of critics because people said this thing is never going to work. Like, why would I use this? It's slow. It's horrible. It doesn't do anything I need. Um, you know, and now, now you can't imagine, I mean, I look at articles that basically say like the internet is dead so long. That was a great experiment. Right. And I think, <laughs> wow. I think being able to apply that same level of perspective to new technologies as they're coming out. Right. So when you're in it day to day, it's almost like, um, you know, with your, with your children, right. The days are long, but the years are short. Um, and so making sure people understand, look, just because there is an issue with this aspect of the technology today, or just because it doesn't work sort of how you have projected that it should work today, um, doesn't mean that that vision won't come to fruition, but you have to have that patience to understand all of these things have to be, you know, all of that innovation has to build on itself, right? If we gave up on mobile devices the first time we did it, I mean, you guys remember the, what was it, the Palm Pilot, the, the Zoom, the, all of those, you know, the, um, yeah, you know, there was there was sort of a more of a tolerance and patience for technologies maturing when I think we didn't have, you know, the 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 attention span of um, of tiny rodents right today you have um, generations that say great like my my interest in um, entertainment is 30 second clips I'm not going to watch a 30 minute sitcom. So for them, you know, it's it's great to have that level of impatience in some ways because it does drive the technology forward. But I think it's also important to be able to communicate and convey that these things are working. They may not be working as well as we'd like in Utopia, but they will get there. So no, just to play devil's advocate, um, I had a conversation with one of our youths, <laughs> one of our interns, and we were talking about um you know, how we communicate our, our stuff that we have on TechStrong. How, how do we get it out to the masses? And, and he was convinced that everything, everybody used Snapchat and that in five years, Snapchat was going to be the thing. And he was saying that today. And I was just chuckling because I'm like, at what point do we realize some of those things, how long do we go before we realize we have to let go and move on? I mean, there's a right. whole nother, cause to me, Snapchat, really? I have 20 some things and they don't use Snapchat. <laughs> so my, the thought for me of five years down the road, this being the latest, greatest all of a sudden, it's, and you know, you, we look at 
where we are. He's in a generation that they do use it. That's how they communicate. So at what point do we realize, okay, we've pounded our head against the wall long enough. Maybe we should try something else. And well, that's part and- of the challenges of, of technology <laughs> is the speed at which we're changing. Exactly. I used to tell people in the, in the, in the build space uh, and in the DevOps space, we used to have the luxury of time to sort out our pipeline and our <laughs> brittle like- scripts because it wasn't going to be for two weeks before this was rolling out. But now we're rolling out things in a microservices world. The idea is to roll them out all day long, right? So we're that time is being compressed. While we used to have that luxury of time, we don't have that anymore. And when we're rolling out changes on a regular basis, new technology is hitting the hitting the internet, hitting clusters, hitting the desktops and the phones of end users all the time. So this pace has really changed a lot about how we interact with the world. And now we as customers demand things to be fixed immediately. <laughs> we don't want to wait for anything. Gratification. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And not to, to mimic that, I know Zenobia hit a point on that, kind of like saying that, you know, we just, you know, we just can't wait anymore. When we think about it, I know when I grew up, we still had the the telephones that were in the walls. Well, <laughs> by the time I yeah. By the time I came around, you know, my son came, by the time my son came around, he was automatically just FaceTiming me, you know, it was FaceTime. So I remember when I was in high school, I would have to call, leave a message, wait for somebody to call me back. There's no such thing anymore. You FaceTime somebody, they answer or instant message. So I think <laughs> there's no patience anywhere across the board. Yeah. I'm so guilty. I'll have 50 or 60 <laughs> messages when I go to check my <laughs> I was like, why didn't you just text me? <laughs> I don't even leave messages. My kids, know I don't, that if I call and I, most of my friends do, if I call them and they don't answer, I just hang up. They see that I have a missed call and they call me back. Exactly. Because who yeah. wants to listen to a message? Not me. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I missed you. Can you call me back? Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, Miss Call, you know I called you. Give me a call. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, you, Jody, you brought up a good point about the, I, th- I think we try to also think about the message versus the medium. And so, you know, I think it becomes even more important to make sure that that message is crisp and clear and everybody understands it. And then to say, okay, but my area of expertise is not Snapchat. It's not, you know, um, some of these other platforms. So maybe I need to then build my team so that we have all those different experts on there. But at the end of the day, they are all delivering that same core message across those platforms where it's consistent. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So Zenobia, just to shift a little bit, I understand um, you were also involved with a group called Forte Forte Group. Um, I think a person like myself needs to learn more about what that is. Could you uh, kind of give us a rundown of what you're working on? Absolutely. So, um, yes. So going back to the start of the pandemic, you know, there are, as you all know, um, the percentage and the number of women in cybersecurity is is small, but mighty. Um, And, you know, I think we used to we used to sort of, we got used to seeing each other at conferences. We got used to getting together in person. We got used to sort of, you know, giving each other the nods of, oh yes, it's, you know, it's some of the same folks that we've known for a long time who we've watched and supported each other growing up in the industry. And when the pandemic came around, um, Didi Dayton and Chengxi Wang, you know, started having conversations around, well, how do we get this 
how do we keep that sense of community and how do we keep that sense of support among this group when we're no longer able to be together? And so we started meeting informally in 2020 and, you know, it was really a um, sort of a, a Slack channel of, you know, women who were fairly senior in their careers in cybersecurity and in privacy. And then it started being, okay, well, let's not just sort of share tips and tricks, but maybe we should, you know, have some education that comes here too. So we brought in speakers um, who <clears throat> talked about everything from, um, negotiating. We had a Harvard professor come in and talk about, um, you know, negotiations. Um, we had folks who, you know, now this is, this is a group of fairly senior women. So, you know, we had some of the women present and have a discussion on, okay, how should you negotiate equity comp, right? What are the things that you need to be thinking about? We've had women come in and talk about if you're thinking about angel investing, what should you be looking for? Um, and then also much more technical topics. So, um, you know, SBOM being one of them, um, managing, uh, you know, ransomware risks and cryptocurrency risks being one of them, all topics that are really important in our careers um, that also, you know, potentially have some sensitivity. And so we're having a trusted group of other women where you can say, great, this is Chatham House rules and, you know, nothing gets shared, um, you know, with attribution beyond this group has just, I think, been a really valuable resource. Um, but of course, you know, if you are, um, you know, you, you all know some of these women, none of them are content to sit on their laurels and say, great, that's wonderful. And we've done this and now, you know, solved. Um, so last year we started talking about, okay, well, how can we, um, and, and we, we actually had some inquiries from people who said, great, this seems like a great group. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to participate in terms of making donations, or I'd love to participate in terms of somehow um, other, otherwise sponsoring the group. Internally, we were also talking about how do we scale, you know, how can we potentially put in place some more infrastructure? So um, it's, it has been and continues to be all volunteer, but how do we, you know, get in place some of those resources and then how do we think about potentially supporting that next generation of leaders who, um, you know, it is incumbent upon us to build that pipeline. Um, a lot of women are multi-time CISOs. A lot of women are in their first role as a CISO. A lot of women are sort of at that one layer down where it's clear that they will be that next generation of security leaders. And so how do we provide the kinds of programming and resources that really strengthen that group and help identify where are the gaps, um, you know, both in knowledge as well as in networks and support to make sure that that group is successful and to make sure that we are also, um, you know, paying it forward and helping that next generation of potential leaders in our space. Interesting, very interesting. So do you, are there, you know, I don't know that uh, particular market that well, is there an under, are women underserved um, in those higher level security positions? So I think I haven't looked at the data, but I think if you look at, you know, the overall cybersecurity industry, it's, you know, it's, I think something like 15%, it's still quite small. And yeah. then as you get up the ranks, um, you know, I think it speaks volumes that we all knew a lot of the senior level um, women 
right? So we started and it, and it, it has grown through, hey, I know this person and I, you know, I, I recommend that she um, be invited to join, but it is a very small group. Um, I think in some ways, you know, it is, it's probably, um, you know, I don't know how it compares to the overall IT um, you know, female leaders in, in IT, but it is, um, it's definitely a small group. I would say at the Open SSF, in terms of who's on the board, uh, there's, we're probably like 5% women, if that. I'd have to do the math, but I'm, let's just give it, you know, the benefit of the doubt, 5%. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, I spend my time um, hunting up folks to be on panels and, and participate on TechStrong. And one of our shows is called CISO Talk. So we're always looking for C-level. And um, as someone who does that a lot, I'm just going to put it out there. I could have a panel every day of five white dudes, but <laughs> we don't do that at TechStrong. Um, if the panel isn't diverse, the, we don't record. That's just the, the standard that our our CEO, and I'm very proud of the fact that the CTO, who's my husband, um, has done that in his whole career. He's always mentored women and helped them to, you know, be able to find a way to get up those ranks because it's very important to him and he sees their value. It's one of the reasons I love him so much. Tracy and Rebecca both know him and they know that he's a, he's a really good guy that way. But I struggle. I struggle because like you said, I end up kind of with the same pool of folks, whether it's women or whether it's women of color or whether it's diversity in general, especially at the sea level. And it's super frustrating to watch that. So when I see groups like yours, I get so excited because I, I see this whole sea of, of people that I didn't, I wasn't aware of that I can reach out to and be like, Hey, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're having an event. We're doing a panel. I have a webinar that I need you on. And, and um, we need to get to the point where we're just like finding people. And it's not so hard that we have to specifically look for color and sex and gender identity and all those things that are so important. But yeah, right. definitely those numbers are low. Yeah. And, and we absolutely have, you know, folks, so Jody, we can you know, we can definitely share with you some incredible women to feature there. You may you bring up a good point about allies though, too, right? I mean, um, we certainly see that there are some incredible allies in the space. So, you know, it it is uh, I would be remiss to not note, you know, the the men who get asked to join a panel and say, Great, but I'm only going to do it if there is diversity on this oh, panel. Yeah. I'm That's getting so more and more of that every day. People literally yeah. saying, am I, am, you know, who's on here? I want to know that this is diverse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for and sure. as soon as we get in, we, we need to get investors thinking that way too. Uh, I just want to point out that women only get about, I think around 2% of the VC funding, 2%. I used to go out and look for funding. And then one day I thought, said to myself, what makes me think I am at the 2% of women who have awesome ideas? And I just decided not to pursue it anymore because it was going to be a waste of my time, I didn't know which is, you know, a sad statement because of, you know, I, quite honestly, I think if I was uh, had a different profile, um, I would have been looked at more closely, but right. it's 2%. And when you only have 2% of women being lifted up at a co-founder or C-level, you're not going to have uh, a whole lot of diversity come along the way. 
Um, it just is, that is just the case. When you don't have uh, upper management and co-founders and C-level folks who are diverse, you're just not going to have a diverse population at that company. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we, um, you know, that's, that's part of, I think the beauty of this group too, is that there are, um, you know, there are women who are in VC, there are women who have been angel investors or LPs. And so it's not just about getting access to them, but it's also about saying, okay, well, how can we potentially help you think about how other VCs are, you know, thinking about things in their portfolio? What are the kinds of things that you need to have ready if you really do want to go and pitch all these other folks? And how can you, you know, use these networks of other women who have, um, you know, who have been able to get there to help you? This is a true story. I was pitching to, uh, I won't say who it was, um, <laughs> VC out of uh, the Silicon Valley. And he listened to my uh, about five minutes of my pitch. And he said, I just want to stop you right there. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And he goes, I could never invest in your company. And I was like, great. Tell me why, you know, is my zipper down? Somebody tell me if I have toilet paper stuck to my shoe, right? <laughs> Lipstick on my teeth. <laughs> exactly. And he said, well, what would happen if your kid got sick? Oh. <sighs> and you know what my response was? What? Cool, you you think I'm in childbearing years? <laughs> Why? Thank you. I did. I said thank you so much for thinking that. And I said, but how is that different from a man? Right. And he said because it's the women who always stay home with the sick kids, and I don't want to have to deal with that. What would I? What would? What would I do? He was honest, and I thanked him for his honesty. How recent was this? Last year. No. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, last year. Oh boy. I yeah. have to behave myself now. So we have a long way to go. <laughs> we have a long way to go. So I'm glad that the Porte group is addressing that problem um, because it matters. Every little bite matters, right? Okay. I have to ask one more question. Age group of this human. What, what age group was this person in? It's hard for me to tell age, but I'm guessing he was well, he somewhere thought you between. Could have babies still. <laughs> yeah, he thought I could have babies, but he probably was. He probably was younger than me. I look much younger than I am. I'm guessing he was between forty and fifty. Wow, I would have expected ten plus for that. No, the fact that that attitude is in that age group just wow. makes me. But so he was angry. honest. I know. How many other people have I pitched to that didn't tell me that? Right. He saved you the other 50 minutes of your time. He did. He did. And I, I thanked him for it. I did. I, I thanked him. Um, and but like I say, I don't know how many other how other pitches I had done where they were thinking that and they didn't tell me. We need to use the format of like the voice or that show where they wear weird costumes when they sing and nobody knows who they are. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm serious. If you put people in a room and you didn't know anything and you just listened to what they had to say, we would not be having this conversation all the time. Yeah. He's told yeah. me this whole, oh, I'm going to get all wound up. This is bad. I have really, like my, my whole family, my children are very active politically. They're into stuff. So we get a lot of good conversations going on. So I have to behave myself <laughs> or I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> 
But I think, I mean, I think there's been that application, right? Like in, in the NFL, there's the Rooney rule, right? In terms of who you have to interview before you, um, before you, you know, appoint someone in a job. I think there's, there's tons of examples where, um, you know, being able to kind of, um, you know, unfortunately mask the real identity of someone um, puts them on a more level playing field. And so, you know, as we think about, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that the, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's vision of the metaverse where, look, you can now have a virtual meeting in the metaverse. I was like, wow, that seems like the most painful thing to do. Why, why would you want the metaverse for that? <laughs> but if you could think about, you know, potentially your identity in the metaverse, right? And if you had a, a, a pitch competition where everybody looked the same and everybody, you know, when they were presenting had the same, you you know, avatar, the same environment. Exactly. Um, and then you're really allowed to be judged on the merit of your ideas. Maybe, maybe that's a more interesting. I love that. The avatar, everybody's yeah. avatar is the same. Yeah. I was talking to a CEO about this um, for a fairly large company about how they do this, how, how they do hiring to try to encourage um, more women. And the person um, responded by saying, we, when we distribute resumes, we take the name off. That's and my good. point back was um, that doesn't work mm -mm. because it's, we need to, we have to now start saying, give me a pile, give me binders full of women and binders full of diverse people <laughs> so we can hire from that. Discrimination got us into this mess. Discrimination will get us out of the mess. So the culture has to start shifting to say, it's okay to say, I'm going to look at these resumes from this pile of diversity. And we have a, 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 another pile here that has really skilled people, but we need to look through this spe specifically. So, you know, discrimination can have, a, it can go both ways, right? right? Let's discriminate to bring some diversity into, uh, into corporate America. And just taking a name off a resume just isn't going to work because there's there's so many more men than women in that particular, you know, in this, in our industry, there's, it, it's ridiculous how many more men there are than women. Well, and I think you can read a resume without a name and probably tell <clears throat> a lot about the person because women speak in a different tone than men a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. The way we describe ourselves, the way we describe what we do, it's very different. So I think if you gave me a stack of 10 nameless resumes. <clears throat> I think I could probably identify at least 50% of them by whether they were male or female, maybe higher. Especially of what they're interested in, right? Exactly. They yeah. have their interests. It's too, it's too generic. Well, I hate to tell you guys this, but we, we only have a few more minutes left. Um, <clears throat> Zenobia, tell us what the Forte groups got going on coming up that people can um, look for or jump in and, and uh, check out. Sure. So yeah, we have now finalized the process. We are officially a nonprofit. Um, so, you know, if anybody would like to contribute or your companies would like to support it, we would love that. Um, you know, you can visit the Forte group, um, forte-group.com website. 
Um, we will also be thinking about ways that we can expand that membership, as I talked about, and those opportunities so that we are engaging not just, you know, the women who have already sort of um, fought their way to the senior level, but how do we make that easier for that next generation? I think there is not the, you know, for many groups, there's the belief of, well, I suffered, so, you know, you should suffer too, right? We are not the, we're not the Navy SEALs, we're not going through <laughs> like, We've, we've said, okay, great, you know, we've suffered, so let's make it better um, for those who come after us, and let's figure out how we utilize those same, you know, those same kinds of networking opportunities that have benefited the majority in the past, um, you know, like I say, small but mighty, let's figure out how we use those to our advantage going forward. Um, and how do we think about, you know, how do we cultivate that and um, make sure that, you know, the people who are, Jody, to your point, not even reviewing the resumes, but also writing the job descriptions are writing them with diversity in mind. And they are writing them so that they, you know, value those kinds of things. Um, we went to Israel a few years ago and uh, our tour guide said, um, so in Israel, all the checkpoints are manned. They're manned by the military, right? And you drive through and you roll down the window and you answer a few questions to the, um, to typically the woman holding the, you know, AK-14 or whatever it is um, at the checkpoint. And he said, do you notice, um, what do you notice, you know, and, and essentially most of the people at the checkpoints were women. Um, and he said, why do you think that is? Um, and of course, you know, my, my boys were looking at me like no idea. Um, and I said, is it because women pay more attention to detail? And said, Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so when you think about cybersecurity, right, those kinds of things that, that, you know, you, um, you know, there's a lot of benefit to having that diversity, to having that diversity, not only of opinions, but also experiences and of the kinds of things that you're thinking about, because you can bet that the, you know, the opponent on the other side is not going to just limit their way of thinking to sort of a very traditional mainstream way of thinking. That's not how they got to be hackers and how they got to be on that side. So, um, you know, we need to use that diversity of thought and opinion and experience to our benefit because um, we are we are not winning the war at this point. So we've got to get better. Wow, what a great way to wrap this up. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, this was a really yes, great conversation. It was fascinating uh, meeting and, and speaking with you, Zenobi. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so pleasure. much for having me. It was great. And yeah, we're yeah. going to keep in touch and we're going to we're going to watch what you guys are doing. I'm sure you're going to do some great stuff. That's super exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Tech Strong Women. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So please tune in and every day tune into techstrong.tv. We have lots of great stuff out there for you guys to watch. All right. We'll see you later.